You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from our women's pastor, Lisa Mason. to bring the message. Um, It really is a joy. It's an honor um, to share with our Classic City Church family. Uh, In light of the past weeks of sermons, I want to kind of go back and just review a little bit. I'm just going to say the last four sermons that the church has heard have been amazing. And I hate to say it, but hard acts to follow because these sermons have been amazing. I'm going to refresh you with what they were and and encourage you, if you weren't able to hear them, please, please uh, go to the website and listen to them because they, it made the Advent season just amazing, which speaking of which, I'll explain why we still have our J Cora. You'll hear that in just a second, but Lee preached the week before Christmas, I believe it was, that Jesus is our savior, our deliverer, There's no one like him, ever. Daniel then came and preached graciously, and I wanted to say this, Daniel, I'm partial, but I tell him this, he preaches way better at his age than we. (laughs) But don't you want your future generations to do better than you? We do. Um, Then I'm gonna piggyback that one. Elizabeth preached last week, which I'm gonna refer to quite a bit. And she preaches way better than I ever probably will. So, you know, praise God that the young generations are surpassing surpassing us. But, but with all seriousness, Daniel preached on the nativity. And he preached on the four groups of people that were included in that nativity story. He preached on Mary and Joseph, on the shepherds, on the magi and Simeon and Anna. Well, while he was preaching, I had already had stirring in my heart what the Lord would have me share this week, and that confirmed it. And then, when Elizabeth shared with us last week, so amazingly, um, and I, I wanna refer to one thing. N.T. Wright had said in, says in his commentary uh, over Luke chapter one and two, He said, Jesus' kingdom is so much more different than Caesar's kingdom. It's one of suffering, but victory. And so with that, then let me go back. I missed one. Lee then preached Christmas Eve, an amazing sermon. And he preached on God's fulfillment. That Jesus demonstrates power in utter weakness and vulnerability. Powerful message again. And then Elizabeth shared last week. She continued the Christmas celebration, and she shared this, and we shared this, and Daniel shared this, and I'll share this. We at Classic City Church love the Advent season. We love Christmas. And that's not why this is behind me, though. And Elizabeth shared this very well, that I'm going to take off my earring because it is smashing into my face, so I'm just going to take it off. So, yeah, you go, girl. I'll take that one off. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. But hey, it's, it's the 
distracting to me and probably to you. Um, okay, so she continued with the Christmas celebration, focusing on Epiphany, the Magi, how they had to wait. She referred to Cordial, her hometown. You have to listen to the message if you didn't, because it was quite entertaining. She spoke about Cordell. Well, I got y'all on that one with Fort Madison, Iowa girl. <laughs> Small towns. Jesus of Nazareth. Where's Nazareth? Where's Fort Madison? <laughs> Where's Cordell? But it was an amazing, amazing sermon on the Magi and on the Advent season not ending just because Advent was over. And the Epiphany is actually celebrated today, January 6th. This is the last day of the 12 days of Christmas in most of the world. So we are continuing to celebrate with our beauty. And our poinsettias are still, they're still alive and running, so we're excited about that. <laughs> but Elizabeth focused on the journey, pressing on. We should continue to gaze on the face of Jesus. And not just on the light or the star that leads us to him, but continue to look upon his face and then share that with others. Those closest to Jesus are often those who are waiting. And we should let scripture guide us, release us, and journey us to Jesus. Not just the light that leads us to Jesus. To Jesus. We in the women's Bible studies that I led this semester, and this is a plug, if, you know, it's not for me, I didn't write it, but Elise Fitzpatrick wrote this Bible study, this book, Finding the Love of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Amazing Bible study that shows us that in every scripture we look at, in everything that we study, we should be looking for Jesus. He's the culmination. He's the king. His face is the one we should look upon. So when Lee asked me to share this in connection with the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I thought it was so apropos to talk about and share about Simeon and Anna. They waited. They waited in prayer. So today, January 6th, the day of the culmination of Epiphany. We're going to look at Anna and Simeon. And this feast of the Epiphany proclaims the, to the world that not only was a child born, but this infant would grow up to adulthood and die as a sacrificial lamb. This season of Epiphany extends the message of Christmas by calling us as believers to manifest the gospel to the whole world. And it's a time for us to consider how he fulfilled his destiny and how we as Christians can fulfill our destiny too. This is a prayer that I wrote and extrapolated just by looking at Anna and Simeon. So I'm going to pray for the sermon. And if you'd pray with me, I'm going to read my prayer. Lord Jesus, how long Anna and Simeon waited, how long they persevered, God, give us perseverance. We're not very good at hoping, and often we become irrational, as if waiting and hoping 
will make something less likely to happen. Strengthen us with hope. Lord, when Simeon and Anna saw you in the temple, a mere baby, they knew you're the one they hoped for, the Messiah. We see many things. We meet all kinds of people. We hear all sorts of stories. God, give us eyes and ears that see you and know you. Bless our looking, bless our listening. Lord Jesus, you know, Simeon held you. <laughs> he sang in praise and thanksgiving. He knew peace when he saw you face to face. When Anna saw you, Lord, she praised you and spoke about the Savior child. Turn our hearts to praise you. Embolden our speech that we might be givers of praise and tellers of truth. <coughs> Teach us to be like Anna and Simeon. Amen. So Anna and Simeon both play important roles in Luke's theme of the new exodus. Both are connected with the redemption of Israel, or the consolation of Israel, which refers to the promised messianic salvation. Isaiah 52, 7-10, I believe we'll have that on the screen. I'm going to read this to you. Bless you. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. They will burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. You can say amen there. That's amen. a good one. Both Simeon and Anna have a testimony that's a full resume of life experiences. They're a little older in life. There was a tangible expectancy in that first century of the coming Messiah. People were desperate for a deliverer. They needed God to intervene. We forget this desperation often that comes in the Gospels. We focus on the early part of Luke, chapter 2, but we often overlook this the, the later portions about Simeon and Anna. As Christmas is now behind us, may we not forget this first century Jewish world was pregnant with expectation for a Messiah, a deliverer. May we continue to share in this sentiment as we move into this new year. As we move into the 21 days of prayer and fasting. So the scripture comes from Luke 2, 21 through 40. It's quite long. You all know it well, but we're going to read it just so, because I'm going to refer to it tons. So bear with me. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. 
When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law, required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people's Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Whew. And in this case of Simeon and Anna, Luke stresses they were devout. They were committed to God. They were temple goers. They cherished the hope of the Old Testament and of the prophets. Simeon says he's looking for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. Anna says she's looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, verse 38. In other words, they were modeled. Old Testament saints. They kept the law of Moses, and they looked with eagerness towards the hope of the prophets. Jerusalem's temple was a gathering place for the devout, yes, but also daily priests performed sacrifices. They sold animals in the outer courtyards for those sacrifices, and other commerce took place. The high priests were politically connected, and for many, temple worship was a ritual, a tradition. It was more than truly a worshipful experience. Sound familiar? But God always allows his remnant of true believers to find him when they seek him. 
Luke wants us to see that the era of the law and the prophets is drawing to a close. And yet, Luke wants to illustrate that there is no conflict between the law and the prophets and the new age of the Messiah. Luke prepares us in a way for important issues to come. With Jesus comes a new age and a new meaning, a new message among the, the Jewish people. The aged era of the law and the prophets is passing away. Yes, a be behold, a new one is coming. But nevertheless, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to complete them, to fulfill them by purchasing the redemption they offered and living the life that they commanded. Therefore, all true saints of the Old Testament faith welcomed Jesus. They welcomed him with open arms because he fit perfectly as the climax, the goal of their faith. But there were hypocrites. They did reject. They did persecute. Luke's making it clear that Jesus' parents, they're not renegades. They were sensitive. They were faithful to the Mosaic Law. All the persons, in fact, surrounding Jesus at his birth had a heritage of devotion to God. The testimony to Jesus stands on the shoulders of a series of highly respectable figures, people, men and women. Joseph and Mary, they performed everything. They kept with the law. They had three major Jewish ceremonies. I'm not going to go into detail. I have my long notes on them, but I'll spare you. But they kept with the circumcision, the eighth day, the purification from childbirth, which was 40 days for Mary. They kept with consecrating or dedicating their firstborn to, correct, to, to the Lord. That was a recognition that their son belonged to the Lord. We do that here. This is important to note. The child, Jesus, he didn't grow up in a hotbed of sectarianism. He grew up in a poor, deeply devout Jewish household. He was taught all the things according to the law. And this is a fundamental truth for us and the way that we read our Bibles. With Jesus comes the new era, but the old, when properly understood, is not against the new, it's in harmony with it. He fulfills it. Jesus brings revelation to the nations. He brings, bless you, he brings glory to Israel. Jesus serves as a light in two distinct ways. For the Gentiles, he's a revelation, the light, opening up the way of salvation to the nations in a way unknown before his coming. Not only will the nations see his salvation, but they'll participate in it. But for Israel, for God's people, he's a glory. That is, his activity represents the realization of promises made by God and thus shows Israel's special place 
in his heart. Isaiah 46, 13. It's not overhead, but I'm going to read it. It's a short verse. I'm bringing my righteousness near. It's not far away. And my salvation, Jesus, will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. In chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, he says, Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your Jesus' dawn. Simeon and Anna, Anna, they encountered Jesus. Simeon sensed a divine impulse to go to the temple at the very time when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus. The very hour. The very time and moment. Mary and Joseph were approached by a righteous and devout man. He wasn't coming to them with just a simple smile of, oh, how cute your baby is. He was elderly. He was of the spirit. The same one that revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. The Holy Spirit was upon him and led him into Jesus' presence. He had waited. Keep that in mind. Waited. That word waited. He had waited many years patiently. He remained righteous as he grew older. He got to hold the baby Jesus in his arms. He got to look him in his face and be the first to prophesy over him. Simeon sensed that this very child was the Messiah. He was so grateful. The Hebrew form of the name Jesus, Yeshua, is derived from the combination of two root words, meaning the Lord to save. The Lord saves. The Lord is our salvation. Quite possibly, him hearing that the baby's name was Jesus was an indication. This was the promised Messiah. But thus, Simeon says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And Mary and Joseph marveled. Little wonder, right? Surely there must have been times when the parents of Jesus wanted to say to people who came up and talked about their child, Oh, nice baby. Oh, you've got a baby. Or in the Jewish name. Oh, nice baby. You've got a cute baby there. Listen, this is no ordinary child. Can you hear Mary? This is not an ordinary child. This is the Savior of the world. It's quite another thing when a man who was probably a total stranger walks up and proclaims to this child, a child who looks like most other six-week-old baby boys, this is the Messiah of the world. Simeon's not done, though. There's a note of foreboding, a deep angst that he has to share with Mary in particular. Jesus says, or Simeon says, Jesus will cause division. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That's heavy. 
The Old Testament texts alluded to the New Testament texts. Isaiah 8, 4 through 15, 14 through 15, and 28, 13 through 16 also refer to Romans 9, 33, 1 Peter 2, Luke 20. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Jesus will divide the nations in two. The road to promised fulfillment is not smooth. Some respond, others oppose. This rejection explains Simeon's reference to a sword piercing through Mary's soul. As a mama of two men, but at one time who were boys, I'll tell you, that pain of knowing that your son would be rejected by the world, the division that Jesus brings reveals the thoughts of many hearts. Jesus is God's litmus test for where a person is. Do I sense a need to depend on him, to come to walk in his light, or do I not? My response to Jesus is a test often, and the answer comes from my heart. Each person's response to him reveals where he or she is. Just as one day Jesus will reveal where everyone's heart is. Acts 10. When Simeon says that Christ is set for the rise and fall of many and for a slandered sign, what's being revealed is whether a person's heart is humble enough to trust Jesus alone for salvation or whether we're haughty and will be brought low. Again, Simeon undoubtedly grew weary during waiting. He waited and waited. But wow, the Messiah he'd waited for was there in his arms. He was full of praise. He was at peace, and he was prepared to die. Next, we hear about Anna. Her encounter. She recognizes Jesus as Messiah at the temple, but it was a little different. She was 84. She was a widow, and unlike Simeon, she wasn't necessarily, we're not told, she was prepared to die. I'm sure she was aware that that would come soon. But she was a single-minded woman. She was ready to bear witness to what she'd seen. Luke doesn't tell us more about her, aside from the names of her tribe and her father's name, which I think is really neat, Penuel or Penuel, which means the face of God. How cool. She comes from that tribe, and she sees the face of God. She was the first woman to understand fully and proclaim the good news, the first evangelist. The only woman explicitly described as a prophet or a prophetess in the New Testament. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. Now, that night and day, she didn't probably sleep there. It's kind of like when we say, I will pray without ceasing. It means I will constantly do it when my eyes are awake and prayerfully when I'm sleeping. But she was there when the doors were open, sun up to sundown, faithfully. 
She was waiting for the advent of the Messiah. She loved the house of God. She was a woman of self-denial, but she never sorrow. She didn't grow bitter. She'd been widowed after seven years, and she was 84. Can you imagine? She chose, she probably had many opportunities to remarry, and that would bring honor to her dying clan. But she chose to worship God. She obeyed, she waited. She never ceased in her hope. She was faithful in interceding for others. She was a very godly woman. But she was also a woman who was aware of Israel's sins. Her prayers were for Israel. She was looking and hastening the coming of the Messiah. Such a devotion to spend her waking hours in spiritual discipline is something to take note of. Quite frankly, having encountered Jesus, she was ready to speak and to speak to anybody in her community. Simeon and Anna were not people of position and power. They weren't the shakers and movers of their day. Many didn't know their names. And to many of the officials in the temple especially, they were probably thought of as eccentric, whose devotion was a little futile. But their response towards encountering the Messiah was praise. What is our response? On this Epiphany Day, and every day, was, will our response be praise? Whatever, whenever, and how we encounter him. Divine appointments come to those who wait faithfully who recognize his voice. Divine appointments are incredibly fulfilling. Divine appointments are the norm of a spirit-filled life. They require watching, listening, waiting. The incredible adventure that God has for every believer is often robbed by fear, by entertainment, by apathy, by busyness, etc., etc. fill in the blanks. Like Simeon and Anna, we must be abiding. We must wait. We want to be sensitive to his voice. We want to be available when he calls on us. We're unlikely to hear his voice, though, unless we prepare ourselves to do so by living in his will, in righteousness, by devotion, by waiting, by listening. By being still. For somebody like me, waiting, being still, that's not always easy. Devout people are full of praise. But when we're really convinced of Him as the light, Him as the salvation, we won't be shy to tell others. Just as Simeon and Anna were waiting in hope for the coming of the Messiah, so a similar hope is beating in our hearts today. Let's be that remnant of God's people who are looking, looking, and waiting. I don't know about you, I don't like to wait. 
Wayne's hard work, and even tests our faith much. Desires we long for, prayers we've been praying, news we're waiting to hear, it can tempt us, right? To be impatient, discouraged, to worry, even to wonder, does God care? Can I hear anybody else out there? Examples of waiting, these are just examples. There are so many, it could go on. Some people wait for their soulmate. Many wait to be released in their calling. Many wait for a job or a new job or the next job. Many wait for spiritual warfare. Many wait for sanctification. Can I hear an Many wait for divine healing. Many wait for specific prayers. Many of us wait for decisions to be made. Many wait for God to bring children or grandchildren for your children to marry, to have grandchildren. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. Daniel's not here. Many wait for God to be delivered from trials, from tribulations, from angst. There are so, 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 so many different miscellaneous matters in our lives to wait for. These are ones you might relate to. Waiting for customer service. <laughs> you get to know the music, the music really well. <laughs> Waiting for the light to turn when you're in a hurry. Waiting for your phone to charge when it went off when you were talking to somebody. Waiting for the power to come back on. Lee and I about a Year, a little over a year ago, like many of you, our power went out. Well, across the street, the house across the street had power for three and a half days before we did. Just wherever the lines were, we didn't get it, and they had it, and I kept waiting and watching. They had lights. I could see steam coming out. <laughs> we didn't. Waiting, waiting. Maybe that's why the Bible talks about waiting so much. There are a plethora of scriptures that I can read. I love this quote. There is actually something happening while nothing is happening. God uses waiting to change us. Waiting can cultivate patience, perseverance, endurance. It does reveal our true motives often. It also can transform our character. But... This waiting, part of his plan, is working through our prayers. Although he hears us, he doesn't always give us the answers we respect or the response that we desire. It's not our timetable, it's his. In God's eyes, time is but a breath. In ours, it's eternity. Unbelief is usually the biggest obstacle in praying and waiting. And yet, while we're waiting, we can take stock in our blessings. This summer, we did a summer of gratitude. The women focused on gratitude, thanksgiving. It changes your waiting time. Are you breathing? Rejoice that you're alive. Do you see blue in the sky? Or, as we had for quite a few days, gray in the sky? Praise God that you can see. Can you hear the sound of the wind blowing through the trees? Or a child laughing? Or crying at the restaurant? Praise God that you can hear. While we're waiting, there are many things that we can do. I'm gonna throw out just a plethora, but I'm sure you know many of them. 
while we're waiting, we can believe that the God who saves us hears our cries. Micah 7, 7. The cross is our guarantee that God is for us. He's committed to give us everything that we would ask for if we knew everything he knew. We can be content. We can know that he will answer. When we're waiting, we can watch with expectancy, not dread or fear. We can be prepared for the unexpected. We can grow in humility. We can learn to love like Jesus. We can grow in patience. Don't ever pray for patience. You'll get all kinds of opportunities. I've never done that one. We had that rodeo before. <laughs> but still, it's a good thing. Put your hope in the word while you're waiting. Woo! We can be tempted to put our hope in all kinds of things, can't we? Those things usually disappoint us. The doctor who's supposed to heal us. The teacher who's supposed to pass us or teach us. The spouse who will love us our employer to reward us, or a friend to help us. I say, because the scripture says, put your hope in Christ. He alone does not disappoint. We can wait in confidence with him. I love this. There's only one place to go for reassurance during hard times. Where is that? The cross. God's word alone, unshakable. While we're waiting, trust in him, not on our own understanding. Resist fretting. Refrain from anger. Be still. Are you convinced God's listening? Do you believe that he's good? Do we accept that our circumstances are often sovereignly ordained? Do we doubt that he really cares about us? When we choose to wait quietly, trustingly, we not only honor him, but we encourage others in their hope, in their walk, in their life. While we're waiting, we can be strong and courageous. We can refuse the spirit of fear to hover, to steal, to kill, to destroy. We can see it as an opportunity to experience him in new ways. When we wait for God's promise instead of going our own way, we will never be disappointed. Acts 1-4 is a great one for that. And also Ephesians 3-20. God's goodness is promised for those who wait patiently for him. No matter how long, regardless of how hopeless things seem to appear, even when it seems to cost us everything, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to his power at work within us. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving, we can do this while we wait. A temptation that we face when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers while we're waiting, 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 waiting. The temptation is to stop praying, to stop expecting from him, to act. We give in to a spirit of cynicism rather than thanking him. While God may not answer in our timing or in the way that we expect, 
he will accomplish his good purposes. Let's persevere in prayer. Let's remember the blessings yet to come. Isaiah 30, 18. Let's remember Romans 8, 28. God is for us. He works all things together for our good, for those who are called according to his purposes. During these long or short seasons of waiting, our hearts will be encouraged to remember that the best is yet to come. One day sin will be no more. My sin, our sin. We'll be free from demands of self and temptations. We'll be able to experience everlasting joy. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus, our salvation. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, in that light. I'm going to end with a quote by Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Spurgeon. She counseled her own heart with these words. The Lord has strewn the pages of God's word with promises of blessedness to those who wait for him. And remember, his slightest word stands fast, stands sure. It can never fail you. So my soul, see that you have a promise underneath thee. For then your waiting will be resting, and you'll have a firm foothold for your hope, which will give you confidence in him who said, they shall not be ashamed, they that wait on me. Like Simeon and Anna, and Susanna, and so many, let's wait on God. And as I close in prayer, I know, I, I love being funny. I was voted class clown senior year, <laughs> just saying, <laughs> and did a false trip on the way to get my award, like everybody thought I tripped. It was, like, awesome. But, you know, it seems that God always gives me these words that are a little serious, sobering, but with all sincerity, I know I'm not the only one waiting for some things. I've been waiting a long time for some things. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like a long time. But there are some things, years and years, you've waited for. I know there are many of you waiting on something really, really important in your life. And you're hoping, and you don't want to lose hope. Let's wait on him. The light, the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, thanking you for this epiphany day, this culmination of the 12 days of Christmas, this day of light, this day of glory. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we 
would be like Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and so many saints of old in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in our lives right now, that we would patiently, hopefully, joyfully wait on you. Jesus, I pray that during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, it wouldn't be a beginning and an end of 21 days. It would be just a continuation of how you long for us to be participants in your amazing story. Thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.